chapter 4. And I'll read it for you. I'll read it twice, actually, just so that it's in your mind. And uh, it's Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. I'm going to share some Christmas thoughts with you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Read that one more time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Christmas is all about timing, isn't it? We set a day in the year, which is, for many kids, the big one, right? So sometime around mid-February, if you have children and they go to elementary school, they'll probably start asking you, when's Christmas again? Because they, you know, they remember the free-for-all, they remember the wrapping paper, they remember the non-stop chocolate. Um, you know, the world turns into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for the Christmas season, and they, they like that. And so that when is Christmas again? You know, I, it seems like it was a long time ago already. Actually, it was only six weeks. It seems like a long time. So when is it going to happen again? And nothing that they do or we do can change the fact that Christmas is on December 25th, and it's going to be a while before it happens. It's about timing. It's also about timing because you can't put it off. You know, you have to look forward to it, but you also can't put it off, right? So um, if there were a family, and I haven't heard any stories, so if this is you, please forgive me. Um, You know, if there's some guy who's just not great at gift giving, I'm assuming it's the guy because that's more likely to be the case in the Belfort family. And, uh, you know, he just doesn't get his act together for the 25th, but I did this year, but doesn't get his act together for the 25th. And it's Christmas morning and the wife comes and says, so did you get me anything? And and the, the husband says... Well, you know, I didn't get around to it, but maybe, maybe I'll buy you something nice in mid-March. Does that count? No. no. Is, that, is there any amount of money that can fix this? Not really. Thank you, Michelle. That's a very vigorous head shake there. Hopefully not the voice of experience talking. <laughs> I trust it's not. But um, anyhow, the timing counts. You, you can't backtrack it, right? So... Chris, this is a good time to talk about timing because there's a day of the year that you have to prep for and it has to happen on that day. Now, I know there's different traditions. Some people hit up Christmas Eve for their presents and their big party. Some people do Christmas Day for their presents and big party. And some people, um, because of family complexities with involving marriages and in-laws, you have to wait till Boxing Day or whatever it is. So, you know, there's a little bit of leeway, but this is the time and you have to be ready and the, the gun goes off sometime around 6 a.m. on December 25th for all the mayhem and madness. Amen? That's what the first Christmas was like. It was at the fullness of time that God sent forth his son. But he wasn't just preparing it for 364 days. He wasn't just preparing kind of since mid-summertime when he was trying to beat the Christmas rush 
and started ordering his presents online at Amazon so that he had everything together for, so he could relax for the week before December 25th. He had been spending centuries and millennia preparing for just the right time that he would send the Lord Jesus, his son, into the world. That's why the scripture says it's at the fullness of time. It was just the right time. God had been preparing. God had been working. God had been planning. He'd been making everything just right for the time when he would send forth his son Jesus. But guess what? It sure didn't look like the right time. Baby in the stable. Mary having Jesus on the road. In the cave or wherever it was. It didn't look like the right time humanly speaking, but in God's sovereign control over the universe, he wanted Mary, who didn't live in Bethlehem, to have the baby in Bethlehem. So what did he do? He tweaked Caesar Augustus's brain, who said, I want to have a census of the whole world, and everyone, you know, everyone has to go back to their hometown. Like, what kind of weirdo idea is that? That is the Lord saying, I need to get that baby born over here. And so I'm just going to get the most influential, powerful man in the universe to have a crazy idea and all had to do with taxes. You know, everything comes back to taxes eventually. I'm going to use the tax code to make sure that my son is born at the right time, in the right place. He's the Lord. He's in charge of everything. One of the things that we as believers are supposed to realize is that God is like that. He only does things at the fullness of time. All right? We understand the fullness of time with Christmas because everybody gets to circle it in big red marker on their calendar. December 25th, have your present by then. You have to order it on Amazon two weeks before it won't get there in time. You know, Amazon tells you, your present won't get there in time. Don't buy this. Voice of experience over here. Don't worry, I found something in town. It, was, it worked out. Um, God doesn't reveal to us when he has the date circled on the calendar for our promises that we receive from God or his plans for our life. It's surprise dates. But Christian, let me tell you, if this is a good day for you or this is a bad day for you, if you are walking with Jesus, he has the big days of your life circled in big red marker on his calendar. And he is working towards the fullness of time for what he wants to do in your life. We just have to wait patiently and hopefully for it. Amen. So even if Christmas morning is a hard day, and I know it is for many of us because things aren't like we want them to be, and even though we've prepared everything, there's still disappointments and there's still heartaches and there's still relationships that are hard. The Lord of heaven and earth works through the fullness of time. And he's very patient and he is a micromanager and he knows how to make everything work for his glory and our good as we will wait for him and hope in him. Amen. The next thing the scripture tells us is that when his son came, he was born of a woman. And this is really important for two reasons. Number one, has anybody heard of Air Jordan before? Yes. Did anybody have Air Jordan shoes? Can I get an Air Jordan shoes? Just, just Darian willing to? Okay. Way to go, DB. Maybe you should shellac those things and just, you know, hand them down from generation to generation there. You can actually bronze them, you know. You can give them to somebody and powder coat them in bronze. Um, my mom's baby shoes. 
are bronze somewhere in the world. Anyhow, it's just a shoe. But it, they were worn by really a really famous basketball player, and so now it becomes really important. Okay, so this is celebrity, the world of celebrity endorsings. Somebody who knows how to make a lot of baskets wears a certain kind of shoe with a little picture of him on the side, and now everybody has to have the shoe. It's the coolest thing ever. Okay, this is partially what is happening in the scripture when the Holy Spirit says, the Lord of heaven and earth, King Jesus, was born of a woman. So, women are pretty cool. That's what we're supposed to think there, okay? Thank you, Lynn. <laughs> Our Savior, the Son of God, was born of a woman. Wow, women are pretty cool. Okay? He could have just appeared. He could have risen out of the ocean riding a gigantic clamshell like some deities made up mythologies from stories ages long ago did. He, didn't, he decided I, that it, the right way to do it is to have him conceived inside of a woman and have her go through regular childbirth and her to be a mother to the son of god the savior of the world and we are together as a church supposed to go awesome mary is awesome mothers are awesome woman is awesome and we need to give respect and honor where it's due amen amen there is no christmas story without mary saying i am a servant I am the servant of the Lord. Let it happen to me according to your will. And so we as the church, and we especially as guys, are supposed to just give some props and some credit and some honor just in saying, wow, there's a lot of moms here, just like Mary, who gave birth to my Lord. I'm going to just be really grateful and treat you nice as a way of worshiping Jesus. And another thing... Um, in the ancient times, it was really easy to think that everything spiritual um, was invisible and airy-fairy, and anything that you could touch with your fingers or hit with a snowball was earthly and fleshly and bad. Okay, Anything that was important and spiritual was invisible and kind of just airy-fairy, and anything that you could touch or hit with a snowball was bad. That was very easy to think like that. We think a little bit differently than that. We just, especially if you're in a charismatic church, anything spiritual is like really emotional and you feel like you're going to explode. But anything that's mundane, like doing the dishes, is not as spiritual. We can fall off on that side, okay? But what the scripture is saying here is the Lord of the universe had a real mom and a real body and filled real diapers after drinking real milk in this real world that impacts you and me. This is real. What's happening is real. Jesus was real. He had a real body and a real mom and a real birthday. And she had real labor pains and real stretch marks and all that stuff. It was real. That's why Paul says born of a woman. It was all really, really real. And so this Christmas, we're supposed to go through our physical world thinking God is real and he really loves me because there we're going to have cookies and hot chocolate. And cookies and hot chocolate come from God. And if he didn't make them, they wouldn't exist. And so when I eat them, he really loves me. You say, Rob, you totally lost me. Let me tell you another story. When Jesus came back from the grave, in the Gospel of Luke, he appeared to his disciples, and they didn't believe it. They're like, ah, he's a ghost! Like you would, if all of a sudden Margaret Rose were here. Amen? Okay? You would freak out. And Jesus is like, I need to 
show that I'm real. So he says, touch me, touch my skin, touch my scars. And they did, but they're still, the scripture says, still disbelieving. And so Jesus says to them, okay, give me some fish. Or he says, do you have anything to eat? And they give him some fish and he eats some fish. And now they're convinced. Okay. How did Jesus finally convince them? He ate somebody's lunch. One of the disciples can say, I knew, I know that Jesus is real. He's back from the dead because he ate my lunch and I was hungry until dinner. Right? That seems a little bit mundane, a little bit too normal, a little bit like, are you sure this is the best argument? Yes, he ate my lunch. He ate real fish. He ate food. Jesus is real. God is real. And you and I together can go through our Christmas weekends eating a turkey or a ham or lasagna or pizza buns or those Gylean chocolates in the shape of shells, which are just delicious. And we too can say, this is all from God and he, and he is real and he loves me and he gives me these gifts so that I will know that he cares for me. Amen. Jesus was born of a woman, just like everybody in this room. He's real. We're real. God is real. Worship is real. His love is real. Let me keep going. Now, the reason God sent his son and he was born of a woman was that he had a rescue plan to do. In this scripture, it says that he came to redeem those under the law so they could be adopted as sons. And what's going on is he's trying to, the Apostle Paul is trying to convince these Christians not to try to become Jews. Okay, so even nowadays there's some movements around here and in the church where if you want to be a real Christian, you have to become an Old Testament Jewish type Christian. You have to start doing all the Old Testament stuff. That was happening in Galatians. Paul didn't like it. He didn't want it. He thought it was really big backtracking and you could lose your salvation if you took it too seriously. Careful. And so he's trying to convince them that Jesus came to actually rescue them from being under the law. And he gives them this picture of um, the law being like a steward to children. Let me unpack this for you, okay? So, do we have a queen? Yes. Her name is Queen Elizabeth, one of the longest reigning monarchs in human history. She has a bit of a cold. You can pray for her. We don't want her to die. She's really great, and who knows what's going to happen with the next heir. All right. Anyhow, there was a time that the Queen of England, who is the queen over Canada through the Commonwealth thing, when she was just a little girl, and she had... A governess who told her to get up in the morning, told her to brush her teeth, told her it was time to do math, told her it was time for a bath, told her it was time to play outside, told her it was time to come in. And she had to do all that stuff, even though her governess was the servant of her father, the king, and she was a princess. She still got bossed around. Can you picture that? If, if you can't, then just watch The Crown on Netflix. Great series. You'll see pictures of it. Anyhow. He's saying that's what it was like for the Jews. There was a time where they were just little kids and they were being ruled over by the law of Moses. But now in Jesus, it's time to grow up. And when you grow up and you're the queen, you don't don't go to your governess anymore and say, tell me what to do. You're the queen. And he's saying now that you are believers in Christ, you are grown up. And now you don't need to depend on the law to tell you what to do anymore. You're grown up. You believe in Jesus. You're a son of God. You believe in Jesus. You're totally grown up. You're free for the law in that sense. They don't get to boss you around or tell you what to do. You are in a direct father-child relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're rescued from childhood. 
Now, that was the Jews. I don't know if there are any Jewish people here or partially Jewish people here or people who have some Jewishness in their background, but if you're like me, you're just an old-fashioned Scottish pagan. Okay, I'm, I'm from Scotland originally, and if there's any Christianity in my family background, I don't know about it. So just old-school pagan, and so I didn't need to get rescued from the law. I needed to get rescued from just being ruled over by the world and by sin. And that did happen. Okay, I'm 36 years old, and... I'm approaching the midpoint of my life where I spent half my life in unbelief and didn't know hardly anything about God, and half my life having come to Jesus. All right, I'm about at the midpoint. It happened the summer before I turned 19. And so I can remember exactly what it was like to not know God. I can remember what it was like to think that Christians were dumb. Okay, I can remember watching movies where they were making fun of Christians and thinking that was awesome and funny, and of course Christians are stupid and judgmental, right? All that stuff. Not only are Christians harsh and judgmental, but they're also weak and lovey-dovey. Like, how does that make sense? Oh, Christians, they're so dumb, they're so harsh and judgmental and mean, and at the same time, they're so weak and flimsy and, and mush, you know? And I'm stronger than them, and I'm nicer than them. That's, it, fits, it fits in your brain somehow, but it doesn't actually make sense that Christians can fall off of both sides of the fence at the same time without severing in half because the fence is a rotating saw blade or something like that. And I've totally lost the mark, but let me tell you, I can remember thinking that Christians were dumb and thinking that it was all made up. And then I met Jesus. Because he, he met with me. It was in a cabin at Candom Lake in the middle of BC. And it was after months of wrestling through about spiritual stuff. And all the Christians I knew had given up hope on me. I, I was too hardened, too resistant, too not going for what they were saying. And it was true because the more I found out about God and his holiness, the more I knew that I personally was in trouble because of my sin. Okay. It's just the reality. The more you, you hear about God, the more you come close to the real God, and you are not rescued by Jesus, the more uncomfortable you feel because you, you know there's something wrong with you. And so, Christian, if you have people who are coming closer to Jesus and all of a sudden they don't like you or they don't like God, it could be because they're starting to become acquainted with the sense of sin and guilt that they have been insensitive to their entire lives up to this point. And, it, and it's probably because God is beginning to draw near to them. When God draws near to somebody who doesn't know them, they don't know him, it's uncomfortable. But then there was a day when my friends had given up on me. They gave me a book. They said, you need to read this because we can't help you anymore. And I went and I read it. And somewhere halfway through the book, I realized that my problem was not that I needed to hate people who made me feel like I was a sinner. My problem was that I needed God to rescue me from my sin and transform me into somebody who did not feel uncomfortable in his presence. That's what I needed. I needed a rescue. Okay, so the Jews needed to get rescued from being under the law. I needed to get rescued from being in my sin and being a rebellion, in rebellion against God. And God did that. I remember I got down beside my bed. I was all by myself. I don't know where I, I, I got the idea that you have to kneel beside a bed to pray. I'd probably seen it in a movie somewhere. And so, okay, so I wanna, I'm going to pray to God. So I'm going to kneel beside the bed. We'd never done that in my house. And I just said, God, I want what Jesus gives. I want a new heart. I want to be set free from my sin. And that was 18 years ago. 
and I'm a different person. So let me draw this to a close for this, okay? Set free from the law, set free from your sin through the Son who was born at the right time and born under a woman. Why does he save us? Okay? This is the biggest question. Why does he redeem us? Why is he saving us? Okay? Because saving always has to do with a purpose. Why do you save money? So you can spend it later. Why do you save pancakes when you made too much yesterday morning so you can eat them later? Why do we get saved? It is so that we can be adopted by God and become his precious children. That's the biggest reason. That's the ultimate reason. Yes, it's so that we don't go to hell. Yes, it's so that we don't ruin our lives with sinful choices. But the ultimate reason is because you and I need a dad who is perfect and loving and devoted and will never quit on us and will never leave us and never run away from us and never give up on us. You and I need a dad who also will not change when we want him to and will not say that right is wrong or wrong is right when we think we need him to, who will just be holy and perfect and unmoving forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is the biggest thing we need today on Christmas morning is to know that in heaven and through Jesus right here is a father who loves us and really loves us and really, really, really loves us. And the the craziest thing is that the main thing our hearts want to do is not believe that we are loved by God. And so what God says he has to do is he says, and because you are son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Our bent towards not believing that God loves us and wants to adopt us and has adopted us is so strong that he says, I need to send my own spirit to live inside of you and to cry out from the inside out, Daddy, 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 because if I am not doing it by my spirit's own power, you will turn. You will leave. You will get discouraged. You'll abandon. And so the gospel message is is that when you come to Jesus, the Father sends his own spirit into your heart to wrestle against your own bent to leave him and to continue to cry out and say, Abba, Abba, save me. Abba, help. Abba, I love you. Abba, I've forgotten. Abba, tell me again the truth. Abba, Father, I love you. I need you. Save me, save me, save me. And that's the biggest Christmas gift you'll ever get. At the right time, God sent his son, born into this world through a woman, to rescue us either from the law or from whatever it was in the world that was keeping us, so that we could become God's precious children and from today and forever have his own spirit convincing us, God is my dad. God is my father. He loves me. He chose me. He wants me. He's committed to me. He's got me and he will not let me go because Jesus lives to continue to rescue me. I I hope you get a good Christmas present. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Some people stretch out Christmas well into January. Go for it. I hope you get some shoes that are so awesome you can treasure them in your closet for the rest of your natural life. I hope you get a toy that is strong enough that it doesn't break before your birthday. I hope that 
good stuff happens for you. But the best thing you can get today is to see again that Jesus has come. And we remember it on Christmas so that God can be your dad forever. So I'm going to invite the team to come up. And while they're getting ready, how can, how can we embrace this? Okay, what's the big application? If you don't know God, or if you've heard about him, or if you used to go to church and it's not happening now, it's very simple. You just say, God, I'm sorry. I, I really want to know you as my dad. I give myself to Jesus. Please welcome me home. Forgive my sin. Forgive me where I've done wrong. Forgive me for turning away. I want to come home. And God will do it. As surely as he raised Jesus from the dead, he receives every single person who comes to him through his son and says, please forgive me, I want to come home. If you are a Christian, Just say thank you a lot today. That is the, one of the best ways to enjoy fa- the Father's love, is just to be thankful, especially when it doesn't feel natural. Thank you, God, that I got socks. Father, I bet you have a good plan for these socks. They look like my overgrown toenails won't bust through them too quickly. Thank you for these socks. Thank you that I have a cold. Thank you that you're sending the storm of the century blizzard it's going to mess up all my plans thank you thank you father thank you you're a good father father you only work by the fullness of time your timing's always perfect thank you thank you thank you thank you this is the truth a heart thanking god is close to god sometimes you have to fight for it but a heart thanking god is close to god father i, I just praise you I praise you, I praise you. Father, I know you are wonderful. And I pray that by these words and your Holy Spirit, you draw each person here closer to yourself again. We love you and adore you. Let's stand to worship.